0: E.C. and artist. we're very glad you're here. Um, Everybody said that and going to be saying that, but we really are. We wish you the best in your travels. And uh, uh, Sally and I made a lot of travels, a lot of changes. We've always found God there waiting for us when we got there, even though I'm the worrier, she's the person of faith in our family. And uh, so I think you'll find God waiting for you there. I can assure you, uh, I've been around here long enough to know that you won't be forgotten. And a lot of people will be praying for the two of you. So praise the Lord for that. Um, I should let you know that uh, 50 years ago, Friday, Sally became my wife. And uh, we just celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary. Which... No doubt you're applauding for her and I should have had Tiffany strike some kind of celebratory medal for her. And uh but uh thanks babe. You've been a great wife and still are. And um so um seemed like something else I was gonna say here this and I've got Yeah, well I got that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah, I lost yeah, I lost it over there for a minute. I couldn't find it. All right, so by the way, E.C., when I finish preaching, I'm going to pray and then lateral the ball to E.C., and he's going to kind of carry it to the finish line today, so that's good. All right, so um, I preached a sermon, uh, last sermon I think I preached was about one anothering, and that uh, talked about how fellowship had uh, two directions. We have fellowship with God uh, vertically. We have fellowship with one another horizontally, we remember both of those in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. If I say, with whom do we commune? We commune with God and we commune with one another. And so I want to, and and I handed out this sheet that probably can still be obtained because I gave an electronic copy to several people and uh, there were copies printed with all those one-anothering verses in the New Testament, which I think shows or describes... uh, Fellowship on the horizontal level, that's what it ought to look like, that when we are functioning properly as a church, those five one-anothering things will happen. Love one another, forgive one another, bear one another's burdens, uh, all those kinds of things. So um, I want to continue with that. Uh, I think including today, I've got four sermons left before Pastor Mike gets here. And so, I'm going to set this text up, the Ephesians 4, uh, by asking a question that some of you will think is a pretty silly question, but it'll help me to make my point, okay? If I said to you, what is the gospel for, you would say, some of you, well, that's a, just a silly question, isn't it? it? It tells us how to be saved. That's what the gospel's for. It, it gets us into the Christian life. It does. And you can have, though, what I call a very tragic view of the Christian life if that's all you think about the gospel. Let me use an illustration. Suppose I said to you that being a Christian was like walking into a house, and so I come up to the house, and I open the door, and to go into the house, the house of being in Christ or being a Christian, I go into the door with what? The gospel. The gospel. And here's what a lot of people do. They use the gospel, they open the door, they believe in Jesus, they walk into that door, and then they pick up the law, and the law tells them, here's what I need to do and not do. And the gospel is then in the background and not in the foreground. It's a tragic view of the Christian life that the gospel is there to get me saved, a ticket to give me entrance, but that's it. Now, I could give you a theological argument why that's a good enough answer if you think of salvation as an umbrella under which comes... Calling and justification and adoption and sanctification and perseverance and glorification, if you see salvation as an umbrella under which there are a lot of other important things, okay, but that image of walking, using it to get in the house and then it being in the background and picking up the law and forgetting the gospel is a bad image. The gospel tells us more about, than, than about how to be saved as we typically think about it. And it tells us something that is very missed. And that's what I want to think about. What does the gospel tell us to do? I find, as I've gotten older, I guess I'm old now, okay, but as somewhere along the way, I found that when I would, was talking to people, informally counseling people, and they would ask me what they should do about a certain situation. I, I wound up telling them, well, you just need to do what the gospel tells you to do. And I'd get these puzzled looks. You mean the gospel tells me how to live, not just how to be saved? And the answer was, yes. Yes, it tells us how to live too. And today I want to think about being patient with one another. Now in the Bible there's, there's, there's more than one kind of patience, at least there's... The Bible talks about being patient in affliction. And the Bible talks about being patient as we wait for the second coming of the Lord. But the Bible also talks about being patient with one another. Uh, You know, there's somebody in this room. If if you're a first-time visitor, I hope this is not the case for you. But if you've been around a while, there's somebody around in this room you're having to be patient with. I don't know who it is. I don't know what the issue is. But there's somebody in this room you need to be patient toward because they've done something, maybe not to you, but they've done something that you think, they just should have done that a little differently. So how do we handle being patient with one another? Well, the word and the sacrament, I think, tell us how to be patient with one another. Let's pray. Lord, uh, tell us how to be patient with one another from the gospel just now and from the sacrament as we come to it. I pray that you would uh, illuminate these words that have been inspired by the Holy Spirit and you would transform us uh, into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I pray you'd use a wretchedly sinful, crooked stick to show the narrow way of the Lord Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians 4. Last time I read verses 1 through 16. Today I read verses, verses 1 through 6. one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Amen. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but this is God's word. It will not fade. It will abide forever and forever. I want to begin with a question for the, the wives in the, in the congregation. What do you do when your husband throws his dirty clothes on the floor instead of in the laundry basket, For the 476th time. What do you do? Or when he leaves the dirty dishes in the sink for you to clean. If you're single and have a roommate, what do you do when your roommate leaves their stuff in your space? Over and over again. A question for the men. What do you do when your wife... Burns the toast repeatedly. Or you fill in the blank. What do you do when? You know the impatient prayer for patience? Lord, give me patience and give it to me right now. You know, Some of us have prayed that way, haven't we? We know we need patience. We know we should be patient. Yet we struggle to be patient with one another. It often eludes us. It's a persistent and primary problem for many of us. Parents with children, children with parents. Spouses with one another. Teachers with students and students with teachers. And the one we miss, being patient with ourselves and with others in the body of Christ. With those outside the body of Christ, neighbors and work associates and friends and things like that. So I want us to think about being patient with one another, bearing with one another, as it says at the end of verse 2. Patience identified, patience obtained, and thirdly, patience renewed. So patience identified, what do I mean by patience? Well, the the word patient means to be, in the original language, long-souled or long-minded or sometimes we might say long-suffering in the context, uh, bearing with one another in love in love, to put up with certain things or in spite of certain things. You know there's two kinds of love. There's I love you because of love and I love you in spite of love. And when I used to do premarital counseling, I used to tell people I love you because of love is very important and and very real, but if that's the only love you have, that's a dangerous situation. I love you because you're wealthy. I love you because... You're funny or humorous. I love you because of your personality. I love you because of your good looks. I love you because of you fill in the blank. Because anything that you put in the blank, I love you because of, can go away. So we were had a couple, we were in our 40s, I think, and we had this couple over for dinner one night back in Alabama, and they picked up this folder we had there of wedding pictures, and and the, the wife said, Is this you? <laughs> Right? We've changed that much in 20 years? And if, and if I love you because of your money, which you can lose, your personality, you can have all kinds of things can cause a change of personality. You can hit your head in a car wreck. You can get Alzheimer's or some other form of dementia. I love you because of is a, is a, is a thin form of love. But I love you in spite of the fact that you're like this and like that and like that. See, I think God's love for us is in spite of love. I love you in spite of the fact that you sin and you're idolaters, and yet I've come to you. And, and so we're talking about uh, being patient and bearing with one another, With I would say, in spite of love. It's a very interesting passage in Matthew's gospel in the fifth chapter where uh, the, the Matthew is, is writing... In chapter 5, verses 46 and 47, he says, If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? He said, what's the big deal with loving the lovely? You haven't even gotten to Christian love until you've begun to love the unlovely the world loves the lovely that doesn't demonstrate christ likeness if you're patient with those who are nearly perfect by comparison to you what's the big deal the big deal is when you're patient with those that drive you crazy and everybody's got those in their life so let me be further clear and talk about a couple of forms of false patience, false patience. False patience could be called, well, not caring, Uh, giving up caring, patience with children. Some of you may have said something like this. Some of you may have heard something like this when you were kids. If you don't want to clean your room, if you want to live in a pigsty, then go ahead. I don't care if you choose to live in filth and squalor. Just please keep your door closed so I won't have to look at it or smell it. Is that patience? No, that's just not caring. Spouses, you'll never change. That's not patience. Patience with ourselves. When we repeatedly experience defeat, we give up trying and sometimes let ourselves go with others in the body of Christ. Well, if that's the way they want to be, then just let them go ahead. They can reap what they sow. I don't care. That's not patience biblically. None of these is biblical patience. Perhaps some tension is removed by those, but not caring is not biblical patience. Many confuse God's patience with this not caring Many think he does not care about sin. He doesn't send lightning out of heaven when I sin, and so he must not care about sin. But that's far from correct. God is quite reactive to sin. He sent his only son to die for sinners. We, we rang, sang about that, and I've already mentioned that before the prayer of confession. He obviously takes sin very seriously. He does care about it, and yet... He is patient with repentant sinners. So not caring is not biblical patience. Neither is stoicism. The stoic is or tries to become impervious to pain and problems. In stoicism, a person gives up caring. But instead of giving up caring about people, they give up caring about pains and problems. But that's not biblical patience either. That is just insensitivity. Christ was very sensitive to pain on the cross... But he stayed there. And so patience is being long sold It's being uh, patient in spite of. It's not not caring. It's not stoicism. How do we get to be patient people? How can we be patient with one another, with those we love the most? How can we be patient with them? How can we suffer long? How can we forbear? And I think the first thing, the crucial thing in that is to be honest about ourselves ...and who we are. The bad things that we have done... ...repeatedly. And the good things that we have left undone... ...repeatedly. God's gaze is honest. He knows. He cares. And yet He puts up with us. He forbears with us. He is patient with us. Forbearing with one another in love, the text says... In a fallen world, and having relationships with fallen people, there will always be issues that require forbearance. So begin with looking in the mirror. And then secondly, realize how patient God is with us. Um, There is a connection in scriptures between patience and forgiveness. In Colossians 3... Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, weakness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So there's a connection between patience and forgiveness, right? Right? And and God's patience toward us, God's forgiveness toward us, is a repeated forgiveness. Because we wretchedly sin time after time after time. And God forgives time after time after time. When we come in confession and repentance. So they came to Jesus in Matthew 18 and said, Jesus, how... Frequently should I forgive my friend that sins against me? Seven times? And Jesus said, well, up to 70 times seven times. And they were kind of dumbstruck. And so then there's the parable that follows that, the parable of the unforgiving servant, where one servant forgives another a little bit, and that same one who is forgiven then will not forgive others who have sinned a lot against him. And the, 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 the comparison is stark. Because, see, we're repeat offenders. If I said to you, if you go to court on a first offense for something, what's the judge going to do? And many first offenses, they say, what's well, the first offense? They'll be a little fine, no big deal. But if you've done the same thing 15 or 20 times, if you're a repeat offender, then the judge may well throw the book at you, right? If he's a righteous judge, he may throw the book at you and to the full extent of the law, hold you to account. Well, friend, you're a repeat offender. I'm a repeat offender. You go into God's court as a repeat offender. Oh. And he's still willing to forgive me? We must be as patient with others as God has been patient with us. Infinitely patient. In the Old Testament, there's a word for this. um, And and it's translated, his steadfast love endures forever. The word steadfast, chesed, in the Hebrew. It's a steady love, a continuous love, an ongoing love, a steadfast love. So how patient must I be with my wife, my husband, my children, my fellow Christians? How patient has God been with you? Well, you might say, well, he's been infinitely patient with me. Well, then you be infinitely patient with him. William Hendrickson, the commentator, said, because God has been long-suffering with me, I must be long-suffering with others. Why am I approaching this this way? Let me tell you why. I can read the law of God and it not work on my heart very much. You say, well, you're a pastor. You're supposed to not be like that. Well, (laughs) you know, it just is what it is. Every honest pastor would ever tell you that they have the same problems you have. They may be just in spades. They may be more aware of them. And, 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 how patient has God been with me? So the law, I, I can overlook the law, but what works on my heart, what just, you know, when, 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 when Sally, sweetie, she, she is, sometimes drives me crazy, what do I do? I remember that God, I've driven God crazier, much crazier. That works on my heart. I think if you know the gospel, that'll work on your heart too. They'll say, well, what right do I have to hold somebody else to an account that is much more strict than the one to which God has held me? The gospel tells me to forgive those who repeatedly have rubbed me raw. Really? Really? When my husband or wife or children does X for the thousandth time, What do I do? Well, remember the gospel. Remember God's patience with me. Remember that God's patience with me requires more patience than my patience with the offender. That's right. The gap between God and me is infinitely greater than the gap between me and any sinner. The amount of forgiveness God has given to me is infinitely greater than the forgiveness that I would ever be required to give to any sinner. Ask yourself this question, where would I be if God treated me in the same way that I feel like treating these other people? I hope that will get your attention, you see. It's the gospel that tells us what to do, the depth that we are to do it. Judge not, said Jesus, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why are we supposed to do this? Why does Paul bring this up? Uh, Like the passage that uh, Walker read from Colossians, uh, very and and Paul says this uh, more more than one place, um, uh, walk in him, walk in a manner, and and in this passage it says, uh, walk in a manner worthy of the calling you've been received with humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, In the bond of peace. There's one body. See, I think he's talking about the unity of the church here. And he doesn't say uh, to create the unity. He says to maintain or preserve the unity. The unity of the spirit, not the unity of the world. What is the unity of the spirit? Let's think about the unity of the world. How does the world build unity? Several ways, but boil it down. is you be like me and we can get along. You dress like me, you talk like me, you drive the same kind of car as me, you go to the same kind of club as me, you live in the same neighborhood as me, you go to the same school as me, we can get along. God's way of unity is vastly different than you be like me and we can get along. God's way of unity is you know Jesus, we're connected, period. Doesn't matter about your money or your education or your we- anything. Doesn't matter at all. The unity of the Spirit. If our patience and unity are not gospel based and gospel driven, then the world won't know that we're different from them and that Jesus is the Christ. You remember that passage in John 17 Father, I pray that they may be one as we are one, as you and me, and I and you. That, we, that they might be one, so that the world might know, Father, that you have sent me. So one of the, part of the apologetic to the world that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus has come into the world, is the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace among the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is there any wonder we have so little impact on the world? What does the world see when it looks at the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Does it see the gospel incarnate? Does it see people that are bearing with one another in love? Well, according to to, uh, John 17, the world has a right to look and say, well, I don't guess Jesus is the Christ. I don't guess Jesus has come in the flesh. I don't guess Jesus is making a difference in that fellowship. And sad to say that's all too true in some places. If we're not patient with one another, there's no reason for the world to believe that God will be patient with them and forgive them. And so people can't hear what they, we say because they see how we are. Francis Schaeffer wrote about this in his book, True Spirituality. It's a very helpful, small book How many non-Christians are at arm's length from the church today because of what they see in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? It's, It's a haunting question. So, patience identified or defined, patience obtained, patience renewed. Why does patience need renewing? Very easily. We forget. We forget the gospel. We forget our need of patience. Uh, from God, our own, we need that people need to be patient with us. We forget our sins of omission. We forget our sins of commission. We forget how much we have been forgiven and how continually we have been forgiven and how we are uh, repeat offenders. How can our patience be renewed? By a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. And so if I'm to be patient and you're to be patient, it will be by the work of the Holy Spirit in us. It would be foolish to seek to be patient, to be more patient, to renew our patience and our own strength. So we need a fresh filling of the Spirit, and we need the proper use of the means of grace, uh, the Word of God and, and the prayer and, and the sacraments. Uh, we need the Word of God so we can look again at the patience of Jesus Christ, the patience in His life, Uh, It's amazing. Jesus is talking to his disciples and in a couple of places he says words to this effect. "Uh, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. (laughs) Well, What is that but patience? I I, I realize you guys have been kind of slow and I understand that. There are more things I want to tell you, but but it's not the time and I'm going to be patient until it's the time. Uh, You find that in his life and teaching. You find it on the cross. Forgive them, Father. For they know not what they do. Is that not patience? Is that not patience? And and then after he rose from the dead, the the dead, and he comes to Thomas, and Thomas tells his fellow apostles, I'm not going to believe unless I see his, his hands and look into his side. And Jesus shows up and says, Thomas, have a look, brother. Have a look. It might have been that Thomas would have said, I mean, Jesus would have said, well, look, guys, if he's not going to believe you, let's get a Thomas replacement. But he's very patient with Thomas. Very, very patient. And patient with non-believers. Do not overlook this one fact, brothers, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, or a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises. Some count slowness. But is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And count the patience of the Lord as salvation. Friend, are you here today and you've heard this gospel for a long time? But you've never really repented and trusted Jesus Christ. You've never offered yourself to Him as a living sacrifice. God is being patient with you. Perhaps God has delayed the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to give you one more opportunity to repent and believe. Perhaps the door is not yet shut so that you can walk in by the door of the gospel. And so it's using the Word and praying for patience. And it's in the sacraments. You come to this table and we have this time of confession. And we confess and we come and we confess the same sins again and again. And we know that by the standards of the world we would be cast out. And we know that by our own standards we would be cast out. You know, the fool you won. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. How many times have you, quote, fooled God? tried to fool God. We know from the gospel, though, we're not cast away. We know that we are repeatedly accepted because of Jesus. We know that repeat offenders are forgiven. And so I call you today to do unto others as God has done to you and God is doing to you in the gospel. I call you particularly... Today, to be as patient with others as God has been and God is being with you. I call you to remember the gospel, your repeated sins and God's repeated forgiveness. And apply that same standard to one another. Remember, it takes more patience on God's part to be patient toward you. Than it will take for you to be patient with any other person on the face of the earth. Let's pray. Lord. Lord, it's, it's humbling to admit that we are repeat offenders. It's humbling to rem- remember how many promises to you and others we have broken. But such is what we are. I just pray, Lord, that as you continue to be patient with your repentant children that we will learn from that and draw strength from the gospel to be patient with others as you have been patient with us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.